Hi guys. Hi. Welcome to this week's episode of Kawaii Cast. And before we get started, we have a few things that we need to make announcements of. That's correct. Yeah. So the first being that uh, if you guys are not already aware, we are associated with the group called Cracked Brain. Mm-hmm. And on the 23rd, we are celebrating our first milestone in uh, our Patreon. Yes. By having a, I believe it's eight hour live stream. So that will be including some of the gaming that we've been doing on our channel, as well as a Kawaii Cast podcast. Yes. Where we will be talking about my personal favorite anime. Won't spoil too much for you guys, but if you are not part of our Patreon right now, make sure you become part of it. That is The Cracked Brain. Uh, it's a dollar just to get be a part of that. It helps us out a lot, and you guys get to watch us have fun. And you can also enjoy The Cracked Brain podcast that same day and yes. every other weekend. I believe that also gives you access to uh, Do You Even Nerd Bra? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So. So you get access to some cool stuff. Check it out. Yep. And we do have more tiers, which will be including other prizes, which I believe we are announcing during the live stream, what you can earn through those. So make sure you guys are checking that out and keeping up to date with it. For a dollar, you guys get a lot of stuff, so. Yes. And that is Patreon slash, or dot com slash Cracked Brain. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Pretty if sure. not, just look for Cracked Brain on Patreon. You should find us. Yes. So you can also uh, find information about that on thecrackedbrain.com. Yes, exactly. Speaking of thecrackedbrain.com, that's another place you guys are going to want to go to for our next announcement. Because Tyler and I are going to be at Level Up Expo this April. Yes, that's April, what, 23rd or yeah. 18th, something like that. Actually, that has nothing to do with the website. Next announcement does. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, go check us out at Level Up Expo. That is going to be in Vegas. It's going to be my first time in Vegas since high school. It'll be my first time in Vegas not just driving through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there twice, but I was a minor both times. So I've been there once on my way to California. <laughs> So yes, uh, we're going to be having a lot of fun there. We will be part of several panels and just hanging out. And so if you guys spot us there, definitely come say hi to us. We always love talking to people. So, or at least I do. Yeah. So yeah, we're excited to see you there. Now on to the reason why I mentioned the website. In June, we are going to be at Pop Culture Con, which is a local convention here in Utah. That's it at the Provo Convention Center. Yep, it is a one-day convention, and if you guys are interested in buying tickets for that, go to thecrackbrain.com and click on the Pop Culture Con link, and that will give you access to tickets. It is the exact same price to use our link, but it sends us a little bit extra, so. Now, there is two links. There's yes. one if you want to be, like, set up a booth to sell whatever. Um, and then there's the one for the, just the admission tickets. Yes. Um, I found that out the hard way, because I was <laughs> looking at the admission tickets one, and I accidentally clicked the, the, like wanting a booth one, oh. the merchandise <laughs> one. So it brought me up to a different page and I'm going, wait a second, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, so so I had to look and, and so, yeah, there's two links. Yeah, so make sure you guys are clicking on the right links. Also, PopCon is having several events, including uh, access to Miss Marvel, 
an early screening of Miss Marvel, and, or Captain Marvel. My Captain point. Marvel. It's yeah. Captain Marvel. It's Captain Marvel. <laughs> so, uh, early access to Captain Marvel, as well as a formal event. Uh, both links are going to be there as well. Same thing, it does not cost you any extra, but it does help us out. Uh, the Captain Marvel event is going to be pretty cool, because not only do you get to see the movie early, but there's also a t-shirt. Yes, so. you will want to sign up early, as you can Those guess, are going seats fast. are limited. Yes, uh, same with the formal event, tickets are limited. You do have to buy your passes for that before March 8th, because they will not be selling tickets at the door. Exactly. And that one includes two prices. There is the admission pass, as well as a couple's pass, and then a VIP, which gives you access to the dinner. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go check all that out. If you're interested in any of that, or if you're local to Utah, those are all really cool events happening in our area. I will be at the formal, and Tyler and I will both be at the actual con. Yes. So. Hope to see you there. Yep, absolutely. And with that, we can start our episode. Woohoo! <laughs> Onto the real business. Yep. <laughs> it's our first What You Should Watch in 2019. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about an older anime. Whoa. I, I say uh, anime pretty loosely here because this is one that has been garnering some debate whether or not it should be considered an anime because it is made by an American studio, but the source material is Japanese, so... It's also done in a very anime-esque style. Yeah, so it's it's one of those that's garnered a lot of debate. Uh, and of course, that is Netflix's Castlevania. Whoa. This is one that I binge-watched, and then I made Tyler binge-watch, because it's a really easy show to binge-watch. It is. There's, what, four episodes in the first season? Three. Three? I thought yeah. it was four. Either nope, way, it's, it's not three. very many. And then I think there's, like, nine episodes in the second season. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... The first season is like almost, that. like, just an intro. And then the second season is the bulk of the series. But altogether, watching both seasons is about the equivalent of watching a normal 12-episode anime season. So it's it's really not bad to watch at all. I managed to watch the whole thing in one day. Tyler watched the first season a while ago and then the second season all in one I day. I watched the first season when it came out yeah. and then the second season just yesterday. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've wanted to talk about this one for a while and we are considering it an anime just for the sake of this episode. Yeah. So <laughs> this is one that I do recommend watching in English. Because I feel like the voice acting and the accents and all that really do play a big part in the characters. And us being Americans can't pick up all of the Japanese accents. Yeah, so uh, this I should say this is one you should watch in your native tongue. Because... <laughs> yeah. Uh, did it come out in any other languages? I mean, obviously Japanese. I'm not sure I don't sure know if entirely. it has like a Spanish dub or anything. I'm not sure if it does or not, but yeah, if if you are an American and English is your first language, I would recommend watching it in English. The voice acting was absolutely spectacular, and I feel like a lot of the jokes just hit better when it's your first language. Yeah. So, and Netflix also is pretty terrible with subtitles. Like, if you're watching it in Japanese, you're still getting the English subtitles, so unless you speak fluent Japanese, you're probably not getting an accurate translation. Or if you're a weeb like us, 
you read the the subtitles and you kind of pick up like a few words yeah and you realize that's not quite what they said all and like i said they're only using the subtitles based on the actual english script so it's not like the japanese gets its own translated translation. yeah yeah it's just the english script so that's one thing that i don't care a lot for with netflix it's the same way with if you're watching an anime from Japan in English and you have the subtitles on because you're poor of hearing or because it's really loud in your house, you're getting the Japanese translated subtitles and it doesn't with, match with the, the English. English dub. Yeah. So Yeah. The subtitles in Netflix do not match the language you're watching always. So You remember that fiasco like a year ago or something where the subtitles in Netflix would be of an entirely different show. It sometimes still happens. <laughs> uh, usually that happens with the description. Yeah, it's so funny. So, uh, Talking about the actual show itself, the first three episodes I felt like did a really fantastic job of really building up on just how threatening the situation is. Yeah. Like, it, it goes to apocalyptic levels right off the bat. Yeah, it's just like... Dracula's, you know, coming out and like, ah, giant flaming head and like, you killed my wife. Yeah. Now you're all gonna die. And we are introduced to each of the characters in a pretty spectacular way. Uh, especially, in my opinion, uh, Trevor, who we meet in a bar. Of course. <laughs> the drunkard. Who is trying his best to avoid... Revealing that he is a Belmont because apparently everybody is mad at the Belmonts. I mean, they do have a history of punching or trying to fuck everything they see. Not the Belmonts. <laughs> well, some of them. Some of them, not a lot of them, though. They were protectors of humanity and they received a bad rep through the church who believed that. They basically, because they're so renowned as, like, monster hunters, monsters tend to flee to them to try to defeat them. And so while they're trying to exterminate monsters, they also bring in the danger. Yeah. So the church gave them the bad reputation as being basically supernatural magnets, and the people turned on them. Yeah, but the church also has the lovely merit of destroying anything they deem as satanic that meaning any pagan uh medicinal objects uh any anything that does not comply with podcat why podcat (laughs) every time he steps on the mouse i get nervous right that so so that aligns with everything that they see as not uh influenced by their god yeah uh i did have a friend that got really upset by their interpretation of the church because they are uh really religious and they were just like i don't like shows that portray the church as just being evil assholes but i'm like it's kind of hard to not portray them that way when the setting is during a time when the church literally repressed people yeah so um, if you are so so it is portrayed that way but i don't know in my personal opinion it's not entirely inaccurate yeah like call call me a blasphemer but i feel that way if you are religious do not take this series too seriously this is not calling out 
the modern day church. This is calling out the church during a time that was literally named after the repression the church caused, the Dark Ages. Yeah. And whether or not you like that subject, the fact is the Catholic Church did repress humanity's ability to learn and educate themselves they, they for repressed their... several hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's called the Dark Ages. Yeah. So this is not a show that is trying to send a message on the modern day church. Because that's not what it's about. It's talking about the historical church. So I do want to clarify that because I have seen people turn this show away strictly because of how the church is portrayed. But that is also how they're portrayed in the games. So, which is what this is based on. Yes. And so for those of you who don't know, the beginning of the show starts off with Dracula's wife, a human woman who has gained a lot of the old knowledge that people had before, you know, the church did like book burnings and all that. And she is using old knowledge to heal people. And from that, the church declares her a witch and burns her at the stake. This infuriates Dracula as she was the one human who helped him see that humanity is worth saving. And to see humans destroy her makes him go complete 180 and decide that all humans have to die. He goes ballistic. Yep. Even though most vampires kind of want some humans to stay alive because they kind of need to drink blood. Kind of need to feed. Yeah, they kind of want to herd the remaining humans like cattle and treat them as livestock for the sake of drinking blood, but Dracula is not having that. He's just like, I want them all He's dead. He's like, nope, every single one of them, gone. Yep. Don't want them on my planet anymore. Not as living creatures, not as livestock, not as anything. They need to be wiped off the face of this earth. Okay, but I mean, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, basically, he's declared war on all of humanity and is winning. Uh, yeah, to to an extent. Yeah, and he's not losing. No, he's he's not, but, I mean, second season, they, they portray his his war as very chaotic, you yeah. know? Like, he's, he's not really focused on wiping out humanity quickly. Yeah, he's just throwing a temper tantrum. Basically. So the second season really gets involved in the politics when it comes to the other vampires and how they feel about this war. Some of them are unhappy with the idea of wiping humanity completely. Again, they want to treat them more like cattle or livestock. Some of them are okay with the whole idea of all of humanity being wiped out, but they want to treat it like an actual war and want it to be organized. But some of them are also playing this idea of, like, it should be organized and we should, you know, do everything by the book, but they're actually just saying that because they want to betray Dracula and dethrone him because they think he's gone mad. And they're just like, he's he's too powerful and he is unstable. We need to take him out now. We need to be the ones in control. So that's basically the three factions of the vampires. There's the people that are loyal but don't think he's doing things well. There's the people who are like, well, we'll just let him do whatever he wants, you know. He's, he's Dracula. He's what the Dracula. Fuck, the fuck are we gonna do to Dracula anyways? And then other people are like, well, he wants to die. This is clearly just a, you know, really long suicide. We'll just take him out and we'll be the ones in power. 
And then on the other side, we have the three hero characters, one being uh, the Belmonts. Trevor Belmont. Trevor Belmont, the last remaining Belmont after his whole family was killed by crazy mobs. Yep. And his home was destroyed, and now he is a drunk that travels from town to town just trying to get by. Well, I mean, once you get so drunk in one town that they discover who you are, you kind of have to move to the next town and get completely plastered (laughs) until they figure out who you are. Yep. And then he decides to assist a magic user because she has gone missing and her family is like, we want to find her or at least her body so that way we can have a proper burial. So he finds her alive and brings her back and... She's just like, well, now we have to defeat Dracula, otherwise all humanity is screwed. And uh, that is Sypha. Yes. Who is definitely one of the most badass women I've ever seen. I love Sypha. She's so great. Uh, She belongs to a group of people that do not believe in writing down their history. Yes. They are what called, what, the Seekers or something? The Seekers, uh, or Speakers. Speakers, that's it. So their culture, they're basically monks, and they do practice magic, but their culture believes that their memories and all of history should be passed down word of mouth. Yeah. They don't believe in writing or anything like that. They're capable of reading, and they can respect books, but anything they read from a book, again, they pass down through the generations word of mouth. They, yeah. they they. It's, it's almost like they feel... Uh... You know, a, a book can be interpreted wrong. Yeah. Or something. So so they feel if you if you speak it, it's going to be, you know, the, the way it's supposed to. Yeah. You get clarity from a human voice, not from the written language. Yeah. So part of it kind of makes sense, but also part of it's kind of dumb because there's only so much you could carry to a future generation just by talking. Yeah. So... Uh, she's kind of on the fence about her people's culture. Like, she seems to have a strong love of books and knowledge. And she does believe that her people's history should be written down. But at the same time, she respects her people's traditions. Yeah, of course. And she's not going to go against them. So, she's definitely an interesting character because of that. And then the third character we meet in the end of the first season who is actually considered the speaker's messiah. So one of the speakers actually had a premonition that underneath the city where they live, there is somebody who is destined to defeat Dracula. And they believe that the premonition actually came from the future. And so uh, Sypha and Trevor go underground and they end up finding him. And it turns out it's Dracula's son, Alucard. Alucard. Who's why, been asleep does, for like why, three years. Why does that name sound so familiar? Because every fucking vampire series has an Alucard. <laughs> Not you, Castlevania Alucard. <laughs> I meant Helsing Alucard. So I'm not going to lie. I went into Castlevania not thinking I was going to like Alucard. But alas, he has joined my legion of good boys. Yeah. And I love him. <laughs> it's, it's it's his shirtless bod, isn't it? No, he's just awesome, <laughs> and he's pure, and I love him. And he's got pretty blonde hair. Oh. And he wears a trench coat. <laughs> I mean, it is long, pretty blonde it hair. It is long, pretty blonde hair, and he has a long, pretty trench coat, 
and everything about him is aesthetic. I love him. Oh, he's great. He is great. So, <laughs> season two starts with them trying to come up with a plan to defeat Dracula. And here you see Alucard, you know, intro Al- intro to Alucard, like, drawing in Ash with a stick. He's a pretty good artist, I he's have to admit. He's a fantastic artist. Yeah, you know, like, especially for Ash. Yeah. Like, uh... So I do have one major problem with this series, and I think that is the fact that it didn't have enough time to accomplish everything it wanted to accomplish. And so we do sacrifice a lot of the good characters, meaning the three heroes. We don't get a lot of interactions between them, but we get a lot of interactions between the vampires. I almost feel like it was focused more on the vampires, though. Like, here's, here's an inner peek at, you know, the, the vampire's way of life. Yeah, well, and I appreciate the vampire side of the story, but I felt like to get that much detail and depth into what's going on in the inner workings of Dracula's army, we sacrificed the important interactions between the three main heroes. And I think my biggest issue was particularly with how they handled Sypha's character. And her relationship with both Trevor and Alucard. Because in my opinion, I feel like Trevor and Alucard are parallels going in opposite directions. Where Sypha was supposed to be the bridge between them. And we didn't really get that. And I feel like the series could have taken more time to really establish that. Especially when at first we see Sypha calling Trevor rude. Telling him he doesn't know how to talk to humans saying she's all of her negative impressions of him were correct. And then two episodes later, we see her cuddling with him under a sheet. And we don't really get an in-between moment where she transitions from you're just a rude child to you're probably the closest thing I have to a friend. Yeah. We get a little bit of that with him mentioning, like, the tree he played in as a child and her seeing, like, his family home but again we don't really get that interaction where it kind of clicks you know yeah we do see more interactions with her and uh alucard where she is learning a bit more like about him and she is starting to understand just how deep his depression runs and why it's so important for him to defeat his father especially because in the very first intro we see of alucard in season two you mentioned the Ash scene. He's talking about how he was named Alucard not by his mother, but by Dracula and his army. And the reason he was named Alucard is because he's supposed to be the opposite of his father. Basically, he was oppressed from the moment he was born. Well, and that's not even his actual name. Like, that's more of a nickname or or a name he took up later. You, yeah. you can see uh, his his real name. He says it at one point. You know, but like you said, he, he uses Alucard because he feels he is the the inverse of his father. Yeah, and he does mention how his mother was never really happy with that. How she never really saw her son as trying to be the polar opposite of her husband. She wanted the three of them to be a family. Yeah. So, that like, her end goal was to just have a normal life with... the man she loved and the child she raised. And 
So when she is burned at the stake, she leaves a message for Alucard that she doesn't want Dracula to wage war on humanity. She wants him to continue the work that he's been studying to learn that humanity is worth protecting. So Alucard's goal is to basically end this war on humans. Yeah. And you do get to see that in a weird way, it's very similar to Trevor. Trevor was young when his parents were killed by the mob in the church. I think they mentioned he was like 12 or 13 when it happened. <laughs> he, he doesn't fucking remember. He's, yeah. he's too drunk and it happened when he was young. At first he's like, eh, maybe I was 13. Or was it 14? Or 12. Eh, maybe it was 12. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the jokes that him and Alucard have like in their banter is Alucard's like, I'm terrified to think that I had more of a childhood than you did. Yeah, and your dad's Dracula. <laughs> so it does play a lot on the idea that these two characters have had very similar lives. They were raised... Trevor was born into a family with the expectation Oops. that he would carry on the Belmont legacy. He wasn't given the kind of childhood where he was told you could be anything you put your mind to. He was born to a family that said, we're going to teach you how to kill vampires. We're going to teach you how to kill creatures of the night. And when you're an adult, you're going to kill creatures of the night. They were indoctrinating him at a very young age, but at the same time, he was still a kid. And I really wish we could have seen more of the Belmont family. And that's just a reminder that his parents were people and that they loved him as a child. And to have all of that taken away from him so suddenly, the only thing he really retained was the indoctrinated knowledge that his parents gave him on how to fight monsters. Alucard, on the other hand, was born to a legacy that is again, was put on him similar to Trevor, but his mother raised him to be an intellect. She raised him to appreciate Dracula not because he's a powerful vampire, but because he's a man of science and that he knows more than humanity combined. And Alucard was raised on that premise that he could be anything he wants. He doesn't have to be the Lord of Darkness. He could be a scientist, he could be a doctor, he could become a philosopher, he what? could do whatever he wants. Now, wouldn't he be the Prince of Darkness? Oh, You know, until... Dracula being the Lord, that means Alucard would be the Prince. Yeah, but eventually the Prince would become the Lord. Uh, excuse you, Dracula's immortal, he would yeah, always be he, the Prince. he could retire. <laughs> Why would you retire? He'd get bored, I don't know. I mean, Either way, I'm, I'm like... pretty sure, like, this entire series is just because Dracula got bored. <laughs> Either way, my point being that Alucard was given the opportunity to do whatever he wanted, where Trevor wasn't. And they both have very similar experiences with losing their parents and living up to their family's legacy that they didn't choose, but they're also very polar opposite of each other. And I w really would have liked to seen Sypha kind of dig into that. Like, especially Trevor. And I would have liked her to see, like, oh my god, these two are just the same person. Yeah. And these two are been the one just who two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And she could have been the one who brought them together. And 
I think the last couple of episodes really highlights that was her role, but we didn't get to see it. Yeah. And that's what makes me upset. Like, I I appreciate all of the, like, politics and everything going on with the vampires, and all of them are insanely well-developed characters, but again, we lost the hero aspect of that, which... I'm sure already people are sitting there like, well, season three's already been confirmed. We're probably going to get a lot of that. But we ended the second season with Sypha and Trevor seeming like the canon couple of the franchise. Yeah. And I'm Well, like, you know, you just... got to pass on the Belmont legacy. <laughs> it just kind of felt a bit rushed. Again, she went from calling him a man-child to calling him her best friend. Yeah. And I'm like, that was a little fast. <laughs> I even would have appreciated, even if she just found, like, a family portrait or something while they were in the Belmont Hold, and she would have been like, holy shit, he really was a kid. Like, he wasn't born a drunk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did find the the portrait of Leon Belmont. Yeah, they did find Leon Belmont, which was, I felt like it was a nod to the game, like, the fans of the games, mm-hmm. because uh, Leon was, I believe, from the first game. I can't remember, actually, because I know one of the games was supposed to be a prequel. So I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know all the specifics. But yeah, one one was Leon Belmont. One was... Richter. Richter. And then Simon, our two Smash Simon, Boys. Are the, yeah, the two Smash Boys. Trevor was exclusively from the anime, I believe. Yeah, um, as, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't a game that had... Uh, Trevor. Yeah, Alucard appears in some of the games. And just like in the anime, he always allies himself with the Belmonts, although a bit begrudgingly because he doesn't like the Belmonts for killing his kind, but he does have to work with them as he's always against Dracula. Yeah. So the story with Alucard changes each time, but usually it comes down to him being the anti-hero. It's like, hey, I have to do this for the greater good. I guess. I guess. <laughs> have, have to deal with this drunkard. <laughs> I love the banter between Alucard and Trevor. Uh, oh, it's hilarious. I love it. Hands down, my favorite moment in the series is when Sypha is just like, I'm going to go get us a wagon. If I leave you two alone, will you promise not to kill each other? And, and Alucard's over there like, please, we're adults. We're not children. And as soon as she's out of earshot, Trevor's just like, eat shit and die. Yeah, fuck you too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. I do really like the coming together moment between Alucard and Trevor. Uh, First from Alucard's perspective, where he's just kind of like, this is do or die, Belmont. You either prove that you're the last living heir to a famous family, or you prove that you're a lucky drunk. Take your pick. Why not both? (laughs) And then Trevor's coming together moment with Alucard is where he's just like, you're still a bastard and I hate you, but you're the bastard I chose to fight with. So we're doing this no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) And I swear to God, they're the bro TP I never knew I needed. (laughs) Even though they hate each other. Even when they're bantering, they both kind of laugh about it. Yeah. Like, if it was like, oh, it's a good thing I chose not to kill you back there. He's like, and it's a good thing I chose not to gut filet and turn you into boots, Alucard. <laughs> My custom baby vampire <laughs> leather boots. 
There's even one moment where Saifa's telling Alucard about all the books she's found in the Belmont hold, and she's just like, they're really thorough about their history. I even found a book about penises. Are you sure that wasn't found under Trevor's bed? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, are you sure you didn't find that under his childhood bed? Yeah. Oh, my. (laughs) I do like how complex Alucard is as a character as well, because... He does know more about the Belmont hold than Trevor does because the Belmont history is very, very vast and they've basically hoarded every ounce of information they could find, even in languages they couldn't read. And Alucard, being raised by somebody who knows all of the knowledge of all of humanity, can read most of it. (laughs) He's just like, I I have a pretty thorough background when it comes to my education. Yeah. Um, that being said, he also has sort of a, a like a disdain towards the Belmont hole. Yeah, because... Because looking around it, you see like vampire skulls and, you know, basically trophies of their monster hunt. Yeah. So... And, and him being half vampire... You know, it it kind of touches home. It's a bit unnerving. Yeah. Yeah, like he's he's literally standing in a place filled with information on how to kill him and his people. Which is information he needs since his goal is to kill his dad, but is also a bit terrifying. Yeah. Like... So he is a complex character, and that is the reason why Saifa comments on the fact that he is suffering from a deep level of depression. Part of it is because he lost his mom. Part of it is because he's about to lose his dad. And part of it is the fact that he doesn't really have a place to belong. He doesn't fit in the vampire world, and he doesn't fit in the human world. He's a shadow that exists between both. Yeah. And... Um, that being said, like I you know, said earlier, two sides of the opposite coin... Saifa also mentions that Trevor is sad, like always, and he even says something like, "Oh, I'm I'm not sad," and you know she she flat out calls him out on it. She's like, "No, you you are, yeah. Like you you may not seem like it, but you know I can tell. Like you're just you're always sad." Yeah, and again, I really would have liked more moments between Saifa and Trevor really digging into this, like, that moment she found out he was sad. Like, again, because prior to this conversation, she's just like, you're just a man-child. You're just a whiny crybaby and I can't talk to. I do appreciate also the fact that she calls out Alucard on the same thing. Yeah, exactly. she mentions before that he is the mature one, but then when he gets into an argument with her, she's just kind of like, you're just, you're kind of a child. You're you're kind of a child. Yeah, And, (laughs) and he even mentions you know he's like oh yeah this is about my childhood something something and i grew up very quickly she's you know kind of looks at him like well i suppose you are forced to and he's like no i literally aged very quickly she's like oh and she's like oh well so maybe you're just a a teenager in a in an adult body i love how offended he gets by that too right he just kind of looks at her like you dare like he's (laughs) he's offended but at the same time like well, he he almost realized that maybe she's not lying. He's an angsty teen in the body of an adult male. <laughs> well, He's still going all? through his vampire face. 
Emo emo Alucard. <laughs> Listens to exclusively My Chemical Romance. No, and AFD. And AFD. And he shops at Hot Topic. Of course, because where else do you shop? He's kind of moving past My Chemical Romance, which is more of the hardcore emo bands. You know, the ones that are kind of underground. Of course. <laughs> has has to listen to them before they're cool. He's finally thrown out all of his GER t-shirts. <laughs> but he only listens to them on AirPods. Yep. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, I, I just want more of these three. They have to be my favorite dynamic trio I've ever seen on a show. Mm-hmm. Like... Again, a lot of that is because they are two sides of the same coin and the bridge that fills the gap. And it's pretty amazing how well they created those characters in such a short amount of time. But let's talk about the villains, because these are the characters that have been really well established and developed. Yeah. So to begin with, there are two humans amongst the vampire hordes. Yes. And have been considered Dracula's, like, right-hand men. Mm Mm-hmm. So the reason they were chosen is because both of them have experienced trauma in their past that has turned them against humanity. Yeah, they've they've both come to the conclusion that, hey, maybe humanity doesn't deserve to live. Yeah, and the reason Dracula doesn't turn them into vampires is because he sees their humanity as being completely, like, valuable to his cause. Because the two of them want to destroy all of humanity... But they're not doing so for the sake of thirst, like the other vampires. Yeah, Dracula even mentions that, like, hey, the other generals in my army do it out of thirst. Like, they they want blood. They don't see humans as being thinking creatures. They see them as animals. Yeah. He's like, but you two are humans, and you two know that humanity is dangerous, and you know that there's nothing worse on this planet than a thinking human being. And that's why you are completely irreplaceable to me in this army. And both of them also have this unique ability where they can transform corpses into living creatures. Yes. They're called uh, Forge Masters. Forge Masters, yep. And the one even mentions that Forge Masters used to be considered kind of a useless class of magician. Where they're basically necromancers, but they create creatures of the night. Yeah. So they can create ghoul-like vampire monsters using just human corpses. They're not intelligent like vampires. They're not free-thinking. They obey the Forge Master exclusively. But he mentions nobody really needed that ability in the past. Like, humans don't need that ability because it's just terrifying. And vampires didn't need that ability because they're fucking vampires. But for the first time, Dracula needs that ability because he doesn't have... He, he needs an army to fight the humans. Yeah. He doesn't have the manpower to do with just vampires. And he's not going to turn a, ton of, a bunch of people into vampires just so he could have an army because then he'd have a bunch of free-thinking, independent vampires who might not listen to him. Um, I'm not entirely sure on that... Because as we see with, uh, what's her name? Like, it kind of touches on her backstory, how she was turned, you know, by some old, you know, privileged vampire dude. Yeah. And and she says, like, she was almost forced to obey him. Yeah. You know, like, because of 
Well, what she says is that she was bound to him. She was bound to him. And I don't think that necessarily means that, like, she wasn't free thinking. I think that means that, like, when she first became a vampire, she considered herself loyal to him. But eventually she realized that she was an idiot for being loyal to him, and she takes back her freedom. Okay. So I, I don't think that vampires that are turned are necessarily forced to be loyal to their masters. She was actively choosing to be. I mean, not necessarily forced, but, like, definitely supernaturally persuaded. I'm not even sure if that's the case. I think the bound was nece- was her free will. She was choosing to be bound to him, the same way that, you know, somebody chooses to be bound to their spouse. Okay. So, and eventually she's just like, I want a divorce, and so she killed him. I want a divorce. So, so, so she throws him out of a window with a thorned rope around his neck mm-hmm. and beheads the bastard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, haven't we all had that urge? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be careful, though. You might be the closest thing I have to a spouse. <laughs> Eh, that's okay. I I welcome death. (laughs) So she is the one that wants to betray Dracula. She is hungry for power, Yeah, basically. She, She sees this seat of power that Dracula has, and she wants it for herself. Yeah. So she is definitely going to be the main antagonist of season three. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Not even, like, questioned. Yeah. Yeah. And she does end up stealing one of Dracula's Forge Masters. Yep. Manipulates him to do what she wants and then tells him, you just betrayed Dracula, so you can't go back. <laughs> she says, oh, look, you betrayed Dracula. You're fucked. Better hang out with me. And then she turns him into her pet. Yep. Poor schmuck. I know. He's he's an interesting character, because... His... I for, keep forgetting his name. What is his name? Uh, I want to say it's Merlin. Not Merlin. It, I believe it begins with an M. M. I'm not thinking of what it is right now, but yeah. Because I know the other guy's Isaac. Isaac, yeah. But uh, he's an interesting character, because he was a Forge Master as a child, and the only thing he cared about was animals. Was his pets. Like, he'd, yeah. he'd find his dead pets, you know, basically mangled, you know, with flesh eaten off of them. And, and he'd, he'd give them life. Give them, you know, re, you know, re-gift them life. Yeah, so he would, anytime he found a dead animal, he would bring it back to life and keep it as a pet. Yes, to which... Surprise, surprise, mom didn't like having dead animals in the house. Sorry, undead animals in the house. (laughs) And he decided to burn his parents alive. I mean, retribution. Yeah. And that's really the only thing he cares about is animals, whether they're alive, dead, or undead. He believes animals are better than people. Yeah. And when Dracula comes to him and tells him, I want to wipe all of humanity off the face of the earth... He actually proposes that humans are animals, too. Yeah. Ones that he doesn't care much for, but they are still animals. He, he even says to Dracula, hey, like, what if, instead of killing them, you just had them as livestock? Yeah, we you just know? heard them. <laughs> kind of like, you know, what the other vampires want. Yeah, so while he is loyal to Dracula and is willing to do whatever Dracula wants, even if it does lead to genocide... 
he agrees more with the mass of vampires that he'd rather cull humans than kill humans. So, and that he only sees all living creatures as animals. He even compares vampires to animals. Yeah. And when he's called out, it's like, are you cons- are you calling them animals? He's like, I mean that as a compliment. Because he's like, well, are- I mean, yeah, <laughs> kinda. <laughs> and so Dracula and Isaac look at him as like he's a child. Or like he's he's just a kid. We they, can't fault him too much. They they do. They even Isaac mentions like, hey, he's he's still a kid. He he hasn't grown out of his you know, reviving dead animals phase. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants his puppy dogs. So he's not a threat. He's just ignorant. Yeah. Isaac, on the other hand, has become completely hardened by humanity. He uh, he is a black person, so he is treated as a lesser human in this world. There's even mention that he was taken in by a magician who was willing to kill him and sell him for parts. Yeah. Um, Before that, he was also basically adopted by what looked like a priest. Yeah. You know, like a Catholic priest who whipped him with a thorned belt. Yeah. You know, and he's like, why don't you follow my orders? And, And... you know, Isaac's just like, oh, well, I just, I wanted to, you know, help you. And to which the priest's response is, oh, well, if you just wanted to help me, have more whips. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So like... he kills his foster father and is sold off to magicians who are like, you're more valuable as parts than you are as a person. And that was the point where he realized humanity is nothing but scum. Yeah. So, so he continues to whip himself as he sees his human body as being part of the plague. Yeah, he he whips himself to for that and because he it says his, it helps keep him focused. Yeah. So, he is a very intense character and will again have a huge role to play in season 3. And I want to say how well fleshed out these villains are. You know, now that you mention it, it almost makes you wonder who is going to be the antagonist in season three, because I can see Isaac, because at the end of season two, he's like, oh, well, what if I just create my own army? Yeah. You know, but then on the other end, there's the the one vampire lady who's like, oh, well, now, now Dracula's been dethroned, you know, someone needs to take the seat of power. Yeah, based on how season two ended, I'm going to assume she's going to be the main antagonist of season three. And I think Isaac might take a back seat and appear as the major villain of the franchise as a whole. Okay. So, uh, we won't spoil too much about the ending, but obviously Dracula is not going to be the major villain of the future seasons. He was the setup for just how dark the show's gonna get. Yeah. So, I also am not entirely sure how they're gonna bring Alucard back. Yeah, Alucard basically stopped and he's like oh well my job's done yeah so i don't know if he will return to the aid of trevor and sypha or if we're just going to be focused on trevor and sypha for season three but either way 
I think the show's fantastic. It is. It's really uh, well done. There was even a villain that even you're just kind of like, this guy's an asshole, but you can't help but like him, and that is... Godsbrand. Uh, Godbrand. Godsbrand. <laughs> yes. I actually <laughs> like him. He is... He's such a dick. <laughs> But, like, he brings up good points, you know? Like, he confronts Dracula. He's like, hey, um, I don't want to drink pig's blood. Yeah. (laughs) Can we keep some humans? Yeah. And he was probably the one that had the most influence on the other vampires, where he's just kind of like, we're the generals. We deserve a decent drink. Yeah. You know, like, and they followed him, like... He had a shit ton of influence over Dracula's army, but he was just kind of an angry fucker. Yeah. Like, his... they Everybody described him the same way. Like, all he does is talk shit, fuck things, sleep, And eat, make boats. And make boats. <laughs> He's a Viking. We're, I'm a Viking. I make boats out of things. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think that was the point where I really started liking him. Because he's just like, uh, excuse you, isn't this obvious? I really like, because the one vampire chick is like giving him shit and she's like yelling at him. He's like, no, I'm not going to fuck you right now. I'm not in the mood. It's like, I'm, you piece of shit. He's like, I'm too angry to fuck you. <laughs> Also, like, there was one... To which her response is kicking him down a flight of stairs. Which is the only natural response. Exactly. Uh, there is one point, too, where Dracula asks her if her relationship with him is one that it would be sexual. And she's like, well, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say no immediately if all the vampire men died and half the women and some of the animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be one of the worst insults. <laughs> And later when she's looking for him, they can't find him. And she's like, there's got to be a limited number of things that he could eat or fuck in this castle. So there's a limited number of things he can eat, sleep under, or fuck. (laughs) Oh, good times. Yeah, honestly, he was probably one of the best villains. He was a realist. Yeah. He was a piece of shit, but he was a likable piece of shit. Right? I also really like, uh, they're having the conversation on whether or not vampires are able to cross moving water. And he's like, I've been on boats and I've taken baths. He's like, I've been on boats, I've taken baths. And they're like, when? (laughs) I take baths all the time. (laughs) How could you really consider a bath moving water? (laughs) It's poured into the tub. (laughs) The water stops as soon as you pour it in. (laughs) The point is, I've been around moving water. <laughs> He's like, I think I would know if moving water would kill me. And one chick's just like, well, do you know that poison will kill you? No, this is shit you learn. There's no manual to being a vampire. <laughs> I, want a, I want a vampire manual. <laughs> Step one, drink blood. Like, seriously, the banter in this show, it just sounds like real banter. And that's something you don't get a lot from, like, animated shows. Usually everything feels a bit scripted. Sometimes the jokes hit really well, but usually 
normal conversations all sound super relevant, where this one was just people arguing over something stupid that really didn't have much relevance on the series later. Like, I was thinking the whole running water thing was going to be a big plot point, and it wasn't. It was just them fighting. Yeah. So, and that was kind of the point, is that the vampires don't all really get along. They're like well, cats in a room. Well, well, not just that, but I think it almost touched on the point that, you know, there's so many myths and legends surrounding vampires that maybe they're not quite even sure which are true. Yeah. You know? And... Like, they do compare them to cats. They eat in their own little corner and they avoid eye contact with each other. Yeah. And when they are forced to interact, they fight. Uh, it sounds about right. <laughs> if you've ever had more than one cat, you, you're pretty familiar with that concept. Yep. Cats typically avoid each other until they get used to each other or they find something common to agree on. And that really is the best way to describe how the vampires are in this show. I am also a bit sad we didn't get to see some of the cooler powers that some of the vampires had. We had the one chick that's able to turn herself into mist. That was actually really cool. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of died in a stupid way. She just kind of got beheaded. Yeah. So. And with that, I do want to transition to the next thing I love about this show. And it's probably the best thing about this show, hands down. That is the action. Yes. I am floored by how good the action in the show is. One, it's obvious that the people who were in charge of the choreography for these fights do no, you know, fighting. These fights don't just feel like your typical shonen punch them until they're dead. The characters are using different forms of martial arts. Uh, Saifa uses multiple types of magic. Uh, we get to see... Uh, Tra uh, Trevor used different types of, excuse me, weapons. He's very proficient in almost every weapon he uses. Yes, everything from a stick to a whip. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't just treat a sword as something you poke people with or slash with. It's something that, like, when you're trying to stick a sword through the throat of a very meaty monster, you're probably going to have to saw your way through it. Yeah. And when the sword gets stuck, you throw things at it until it comes loose. And then watch the monster bleed to death. Yep. The whip feels like it's actually moving according to real physics. It's not a magic whip. It's not... Eh, uh, that's, that's debatable at some points. Some points, yeah, but you do see things where he has to wrap the whip like around his body to get it to move the way he wants it to. Yeah. Uh, there's times when he uses it just to hold on to things... It is a chain whip, but compared to, like, what we see in the video games where the whip just kind of goes forward and then they just bring it back to them, it definitely feels a lot more thought out in this series. Yeah. Um, that being said, I have to point out, you know, the my, my uh, what I find funny about the whip that he uses is it's called the Morningstar Whip. Mm -hmm. Morningstar is basically... A mace on a long pole. <laughs> <laughs> so that being a whip, yeah. Yeah. I, I found that ironic, personally. Uh, that is what it's called in the games, though. Yes. No, I, so. I get that. I just find it funny. Anybody who has played the new Smash Brothers should be familiar with this whip. It is the one that Richter and Simon use. 
Yes. And it is one of the most annoying attacks in that game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good old Belmonts. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Trevor's fighting style has to be my favorite in the show. But I also really appreciate how they handled uh, Sypha, who is a magic user. And a lot of times her strategy is blow fire in their face. Yeah, as uh, as seen with their fight with Dracula. Yeah. Like, they pin him down, and she basically gets up close and personal and just blow torches the <laughs> fuck out of his face. Yep. So she is ca- uh, able to manifest fire and ice using nothing but the air, basically. Mm-hmm. So she's she's a firebender and a waterbender. Yeah. And they definitely did use a lot of, like, I would say uh, martial arts as the inspiration for her magic. Yeah. Where... Well, it's uh, like kind of like with The Last Airbender is they, they did the same thing. A lot yeah. of the, the bending moves, you know, were ar- martial arts moves. Yeah, so you could definitely see that it's very similar... Uh, and then you have Alucard, who, when he's actually holding his sword, is very, very a fencing style, because his sword is almost as long as him. It's a, uh, not rapier, but yeah, it's, it's kind of almost that same style. It's a long... Yeah, it's a real... It's almost like a foil. Yeah. Like a French foil. And most of the time, he's not even wielding his sword but it's floating in the proximity to him. Yeah. So his attacks are kind of a combination of traditional fencing and the magic that Sypha uses. Except instead of manifesting fire and ice, he simply controls where his sword goes. Yeah. And he's also capable of turning into a wolf, and you get to see a wolf basically control a sword. (laughs) And it is so intense, but it feels very real. Yeah. Like, all of the fighting... That's pretty cool. All of the fighting in the show is very grounded in reality, even though it's supernatural. And that's a rare thing to say, because most fighting sequences you see in anime do feel like that typical shonen. It's explosions and punching and flying through the air. You mean when you punch someone, they don't go flying back 20 feet, leaving (laughs) a trail of uh, their their friction on the ground? (laughs) Yeah, even... uh, one in per- or one scene in particular where uh, Dracula throws a literal meteor at them. <laughs> yes, he summons a giant lava ball yeah. and throws it at them. And the way that they repel the attack feels very grounded and real. Like, Sypha's using her magic, Alucard is using the force of his sword, and Trevor, who is not capable of using supernatural abilities is literally just holding Sypha up. He just acts as an anchor. He yeah. just backs her up and holds her still. Yeah, and it's so fucking brilliant. Even when we get 1v1 Alucard versus Dracula, where literally their fighting style is just throwing each other through as many walls as humanly possible. And this castle has a lot of walls that they could throw each other through. <laughs> yes, um, the castle <laughs> literally defies physics. Yeah, which it did in the game as well. No, it did, but I find the the architecture of the castle so outlandishly crazy. <laughs> like it's got these these bridges off to towers that just kind of hang in the air, and you're you're sitting there looking at. The, there's no way that would hold it up. Yeah. <laughs> 
But God, I just... All of the action in this is the best action I've seen in a long time. I am not an expert when it comes to fighting, but even I recognize a lot of the martial arts techniques used and have to appreciate the amount of work they put into the physics of the weapons. And again, even the supernatural stuff doesn't feel supernatural. It feels real. Yeah. And Sypha's a badass. I love Sypha. She is totally a badass. She is one of the most badass magic users I've ever seen. It's really hard to make a magic user feel badass without making them feel OP. And Castlevania felt found that nice little middle ground with her. Mm-hmm. You can root for her and you can think she is the most cool character ever without feeling like she's too powerful. Like, she definitely needs Trevor and Alucard to back her up. Yeah. And same with Alucard. He's supposed to be just as strong as Dracula, or at least close. I say close. He's almost as strong as Vac- Dracula. Yeah, but he doesn't feel like he could do this alone. You know, even, even as a wolf. <laughs> even as a wolf. Such a good boy. He's such a good boy. <laughs> Alucard is definitely in my legion of good boys. He is. He's he's a good boy. That ending, though. Okay, I think at this point we are going to declare spoilers probably for the remainder of this episode. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of gone over some spoilers, but I think we're going to go major spoilers. If you guys are already convinced to watch the show, go watch it now. Come back and finish this episode. Seriously, you could watch the whole thing in a day. So Easy peasy. Yeah, so here on out, you've been warned. So immediately going into that fight with Dracula, I was kind of worried that they might have started it too soon. Like going into the big boss fight at the end of what felt like the first season. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Dracula, the first episodes were was built up to be this god of a threat. And here we have three morons that can't even agree on what to eat for dinner about ready to take him on. Yes, what do you eat for dinner? Chicken, steak, or blood? Yeah. And each of them can't agree. (laughs) (laughs) One just wants beer. I mean, you know, you you drink beer and you take a multivitamin and you're good, right? (laughs) That's your nutrition for the day? You got your carbs and you got everything else. Exactly, (laughs) see? (laughs) So... That was my biggest fear, but I really, really loved how they handled the final fight, especially because I feel like the writers felt that if Alucard got too strong, it would just feel like him versus Dracula, and I think they really wanted the fight to feel like the three of them as a united front. Yeah. And I think, hands down, the scene that felt the most powerful was the finishing fight in Alucard's childhood bedroom. Yeah. Where, where they go into his bedroom and, or Dracula throws Alucard through a wall into Alucard's childhood bedroom, you know, and then marches in there to basically finish the job and just kind of, like, stops. And he realizes, hey, wait a second. This is my child. Yeah. You know, this this is the only thing that my beloved wife left for me. I think uh, the part that really got to me was we painted these walls, we made these toys, and here I am killing our boy. Yeah. 
and that I think that's kind of what I wanted from Trevor's side. I wanted to see like his parents cared about him. And instead we got that with Alucard. We almost got more humane parents from Alucard than we did from the Belmonts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, as we can see with the whole series, uh, I think a common theme here is that humans are trash. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense. Yeah. So, and I think that was just really the most depressing part because I think having to have Alucard attack his father when he was at his most vulnerable was something he wasn't prepared to do. Alucard was absolutely ready to destroy his father when he was bloodthirsty and angry and ready to rip his throat out, but seeing him in a moment when, you know, we even see the color of the moon go back to normal, and his eyes go back to normal, and he becomes genuinely sad and vulnerable, I don't think Alucard was ever prepared for that. Yeah. Like, I think Alucard was to the point where he thought his father wasn't even capable of those feelings anymore. At the same time, Alucard has accepted that, hey, my father died when my mom died. Yeah, he knew that this was just fulfilling his father's suicide. And in the process, he was going to be saving a lot of lives by doing so. Yeah. But that really is, it's not a black and white thing. Like, he can't weigh the lives of all of humanity to the blood on his hands of killing his father. And he is both sides. Yeah, he is both human and vampire. Yeah, and honestly, that was the most powerful moment of the series. And I think if they had had the number of episodes to really build up on that, we could have seen that hit even harder. Yeah, we could have seen, like, childhood memories, you know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. I think even, like I said, building up that idea of the parallel between him and Trevor would have hit that moment a lot harder. Especially with Trevor and Sypha also delivering final blows to Dracula in that moment. And I think knowing that all three of them had some kind of weight in that death would have been absolutely devastating in the best possible way for the audience. And so that's where I feel like the series just fell a little bit short. You know, we do get these really powerful moments with Alucard, but we lack those moments with Trevor and Sypha. Yeah. And it, to me, it just kind of felt like they were just like, oh, you're having a moment? Well, fire. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> yep. Finishing blow. We missed all the important shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> and like I said, I think all around the show is absolutely fantastic. That's one I've wanted to talk about since I binged it. But I can't help but feel a little bit robbed of some of those really deep emotional connections that we could have had. Yeah. And I do know we are getting a third season and it's not too late for those moments to happen, but God, could you have imagined getting those moments as early as season two? Yeah. Um, I think one, probably one of my favorite parts as oddly as, as odd as it sounds is like that moment when Dracula and Isaac are in Dracula's study you know, and Isaac's like, oh, I'll, I'll defend you, Lord Dracula. They're not going to get past me. And Dracula's just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to take your choice of what you're doing. And just throws him through the, like, the, the mirror. Yeah, the looking mirror. The looking mirror. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Goodbye. 
Yeah, and like I because like, so you can see how loyal Isaac is to Dracula, and you can also see that Dracula genuinely cares. About he cares Isaac. about him, you know. Like, and and it's kind of a reoccurring thing throughout, you know, the second season. Dracula asks him, I think, several times, like, hey, are you still my friend? Are you still my friend? Yeah, like, the relationship between Dracula and Isaac was definitely one of the best built-up ones. And I do feel like I definitely appreciate the amount of writing and time was invested into the villain stories because of that. I don't think I've ever seen a villain so well-established as Isaac, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And while I do think the other Forge Master is an interesting character, I feel like he was a bit wish-washy compared his, to Isaac. His, it almost felt like his motives weren't quite flushed out the same way Isaac's was. Yeah, he just kind of felt like he was just doing what he thought was best instead of actually having a genuine motive. So when he's betrayed, it doesn't quite hit as hard. Yeah. So yeah, I completely agree that moment between Dracula and Isaac was a far more powerful moment than the other guy finding out that he was wrong the whole time. Yeah, that he should have just stuck with Dracula. Yeah, he should have just followed orders and been a good boy instead of listening to the temptations of that bitch. Yeah. Who literally considers him a dog. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking bitch. She even made him his own collar. With a chain. Yep. <laughs> I will say the one moment that kind of threw me off. She's like, you're my forge master now. And she beats the living shit out of him. And it's like, well, he's not going to be if you beat him to death. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like she's literally just beating him for the sake of beating him almost. Yeah. And and she doesn't even stop until he raises his arms in defense. Like, hey, stop hitting me. And Yeah. I guess, like, she's trying to condition him to basically succumb to her, but... It felt a bit excessive. Yeah. So, especially because it's like, what is he going to do? He has nowhere well, to go. Well, it's not just that, but like throughout the entire series, she's basically like manipulating him through like mental attacks, you know, yeah. like, like making him doubt his, you know, loyalty to Dracula and all these things. Yeah. So when she all of a sudden turns this to this say psychotic, violent bitch, you know, she she's not this manipulative character anymore. Like, why why would you do this? Yeah. So, I do feel like she was just kind of probably my least favorite character in terms of villains or heroes. Also, like, there's one point where she has him on a bridge over holy water, and she's like, you have nowhere to go. And I'm like, you can just jump into the river. She can't follow you. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah, she's behind you on the bridge, and... I mean, you might not be a good swimmer, but at that point, just take the risk, you know? Yeah. Like, I think even being covered in holy water is enough that she can't touch you. you know? Yeah, just just reach down, scoop up some holy water, and splash her with it. <laughs> <laughs> just jump in and just splash like you're in a pool. Help, help I'm drowning. Because <laughs> then she can't get you, and you have a weapon. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I don't know, She her, her, her whole arc just i felt like for as much screen time as she had was the least developed yeah so it it just it felt weird awkward yeah and i see a lot of people praising her as a villain because she's canonically bi 
But I'm like, I almost feel like her whole bye comment was more of an insult to God, you know. To God brand. God brand, as opposed to genuinely being like, I'm attracted to women. Yeah, because, so. like, with her comment, you could also say that she's, she's into bestiality. bestiality yeah. And, like, okay. So, yeah. I, so, so, again, like, I agree with you. It felt more of a joke than saying she's bi. Yeah, it, it's the wrong kind of uh, uh, representation, even if that's how you interpret it. Yeah. So, like, I don't know why she's being praised as, like, this, you know by icon when it's like she also fucks pigs apparently you know? <laughs> so. this by icon who apparently is a bitch yeah and is just a horrible character all around so i am interested to see what they're going to do with her i do believe since we it is implied that they're going to be heading to that city that got destroyed they are going to cross paths with her long before they cross paths with isaac with isaac and i do think isaac is going to be a sleeper villain yeah. He's going to spend a lot of the next season building up the masses. Build it, building up his own army. Yeah. And we're not... It might even get to the point where we kind of forget about him until the end of the season when he just springs up like, look at my undead army, bitches. Surprise, bitches. <laughs> I heard you killed Dracula. <laughs> now it's my turn. Or, because uh, I was questioning how Alucard's going to make its way back. Maybe... Trevor and Sypha are going to make their way to that bitch. And Isaac is going to make his way back to the castle. Because he knows where the castle is. Yeah. Which she doesn't. Does he, though? He does. He was there. They were. They had already landed in front of the Belmont home. And he saw where they were before he was thrown into the mirror. Okay. So he does know where the castle is. I was, was going to say, he was in the castle when it happened, so... Yeah. I don't know if he knows entirely where it's at. I think he could also piece it together by the fact that the Belmont stead is not far from where his demons were attacked, and he knows that the Belmonts and Alucard were responsible for his demons being attacked. Yeah, that's fair. So... He's he, not an idiot. He's not an idiot. I'm sure he knows where the castle is. So it could be that we'll see Alucard facing him while we see Sypha and Trevor facing off against the other two. Yeah. So, and that could force them to reunite their forces as well. Makes sense. So that those are my two theories. Uh, I will say the ending scene was probably one of the most powerful to leave us off. And that was we see Sypha and Trevor talking about their future and kind of having a nice moment of joy and see cutesy. see that one's that one's funny because like they're kind of talking about the future and she's like oh well i i don't know if i'm ready for to quit these adventures and blah 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 basically you know obviously laying down very heavily that she wants to continue traveling with him yeah but he is completely oblivious <laughs> until she just flat out says it. She's like, I want to hang out with you more, dummy. Yeah. The scene of them in the wagon, just kind of arms linked and being cute, I felt like was such a wonderful, joyous moment. And then is immediately contrasted with Alucard alone in his castle. And him questioning, like, is this how the world felt before you met my mother? And being haunted by the ghosts of his past, literally. And we see the very last shot of the show is him sitting in his father's study, crying. 
Yeah. Finally letting out all of that emotion and sadness. He now belongs to both worlds as opposed to belonging to neither. He is both the holder of his father's knowledge and castle, and he is the sole protector of the Belmont knowledge. Yes. So he he exists both in the human and the vampire world as opposed to in neither. And it finally gives him a moment to completely invest in his emotional state and just cry. And they literally leave us with that. Well, I mean, sometimes all you need is a good cry. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're not really sure if Alucard's okay. They leave us with him gross crying in his father's study. Yeah. We see the remaining mirror is still there and still works. But again, while we see Trevor and Sypha happy, we don't know if Alucard's going to be happy with the next time we see him. He may depression's be... Depression's a bitch. Yeah, he might be able to surface from this depression because of the wonderful gift he was given... But he might also be sinking further into it due to his solitude and loneliness. And I think that is an interesting thing to be left on in a show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, maybe Alucard will get lucky, just like his dad did. And some random lady will come knocking on the castle and be <laughs> like, hey, asshole, teach, teach, me, teach me how to be a doctor. Yeah, and... I think for him, he's given up on the idea that that kind of person exists. And the closest he's met to that kind of person is Sypha. And we already know she's going to end up with Trevor. Yeah. So. But it makes me also a bit sad that he was the one left behind. Because I think he's the one that needs the friends more than anything. Yeah, because like you said, he is... He's part of both worlds. And it's just... It's not something most people can accept yeah so his his character development was absolutely fantastic through this season and i am hoping to see more of him next season because i want to see that continue just like how his father 180 at the beginning of the show he's made it 180 at the end mm -hmm. and now he has to live with everything he's done he can't go back to sleep like he did before nope I mean, he offered to. He's like, eh, I'm just going to go sleep. Well, he offered to basically do what his father did, and that was commit suicide. As he wanted the castle to be his grave. And Trevor told him, you're not going to kill yourself. You're going to live for the sake of humanity and for your people. And God, like, they really are the bromance you never knew you needed. Yeah. Uh... So yeah, this series, it has its insanely powerful moments and affected me way more than I thought it would. And I am so excited to see future seasons. And I really do hope now that it does have a bit of a fan following and has proven to be one of the more viable series on Netflix that Netflix will give it the episodes it needs to develop the stories that they want to tell. So, so speaking of that, um, I know Castlevania already had a pretty strong fan following, you know, yeah. because of the game. Games, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I 
not sure how the fans of the games have responded to the anime. It's interesting because um, some have responded really well, but Castlevania has a very unique history with its fan followings because it is a very niche fan base. As most of the games that came from Japan were uh, side-scrolling arcade games. They were platformers more than anything. And most people don't know this, but there was a Castlevania game that was developed in Mexico. That, uh, I believe it was the first 3D Castlevania. And while it didn't garner a lot of positive response in terms of its gameplay... The story has been accepted as canonically part of the Castlevania universe and has been accepted by the fan base as such. And it surprisingly saved the Castlevania franchise because at that point it was kind of dying. And if that version had never existed, it probably would have never received the anime adaptation. So I think while... The true game diehards might feel like there's a bit of impurity in the fact that this was an American-made series. I do think that they're also very, very welcoming to the story as part of the canonical universe. All right, I see. Yeah, it's it's kind of a roundabout way of saying I think they're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> like like I said, I I don't know. I haven't really seen any response from hardcore Castlevania fans. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen any like, oh, this, this anime is terrible. It's the worst adaptation. And I haven't seen anything like, oh my god, this is fantastic, you know? Yeah, and I think even outside of the hardcore gaming fans, this series really hasn't garnered enough attention, in my opinion. Because I think it does lack that really strong fan base. But I think it is growing, and like I said, I think if season two has done anything, it has proven that Netflix needs to give this series more episodes. <laughs> it needs to give it the room to breathe because we got such an intense storyline that didn't get to accomplish everything it set out to do. Like I said, the hero side felt extremely rushed. It felt like we lost a lot of those human connections between the characters and even a character who had the most screen time was not super well developed. And it just felt like a bunch of missed opportunities for something that could have been, like, earth-shattering. <laughs> and what the series does right, it does very right. Yeah. And I don't think that the mistakes it made are really, like... I don't series. think it's... They're, they're not breaking. They're not series-breaking, yeah, but they... They do feel a bit empty, especially because the whole second season we see the three main characters hiding in a library. And like I said, the action of this show is really where it's at its best. Yeah. So with that... Well, I mean, they're based on action games, so... Yeah. <laughs> makes sense. It does. Uh, but even the games had a bit more depth. Yeah, fair. So we didn't spend the games sitting in a library. Darn. But in terms of adapting a side-scrolling platformer into a fleshed-out story, I don't know if they could have done much better without just having two or three extra episodes to breathe. Yeah. So it's... I would say it's the same kind of complaints that a lot of people had about Devilman Crybaby, but I think even more extreme. Because it had an even shorter runtime. Yeah. 
So, uh, with that, I don't know how long we can continue this episode in the spoiler area, so we might just wrap it up there. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about what else we're watching real quick? Um, I'm not exactly caught up on everything. Uh... Well, I will talk about one show that I know that we're both caught up on, and that is Mob Psycho 100 Season 2. Okay. Which has become so intense. It's pretty, yeah, it has. Like, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I was not expecting to be hit with the feels this early in the season. All of the feels. I was not expecting to have a season finale climatic battle in Episode (laughs) 5. Imagine what the actual season finale climactic I battle will be. I can't even imagine. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of that would make it even better is the fact that we are going to see his brother and his friend return. As well as the OP seems to imply that a lot of the psychics that joined their squad at the end of the first season will also be allying with them this season. So... If we get something as cool as the battle we just saw in episode five, but with multiple psychics. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. I think that's the only thing that's going to top this episode. Fair. This episode was so intense. It's not even Mob Psycho 100 anymore. It is Mob Psycho Beyond 100. Literally. <laughs> yeah. We see that we don't even know what the limit of Mob's power this, is. This isn't even Mob's final form. It really is. <laughs> I think the one thing I really appreciate about this episode was the fact that we got to see Mob really harness the 100% ability for itself and not just lose control. And it's even to the point where Dimple is just kind of like, uh, yeah, who are you? Yeah. So... Yeah, like, this this season has been intense. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, another anime we're watching, which has definitely made its way to my must-watch recommendation list, is My Roommate is a Cat. (laughs) My Roommate is... Oh, it's so cute. I love it. At first, I was just kind of like, this is just going to be the happy-feeling anime of the season. Now this is possibly the must-watch anime of the season. Yeah, it's it's really enjoyable. Anyone who has a cat can relate to a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the instances that happen. Yeah. At first, I thought the idea of seeing the story from the cat's perspective was going to be a bit cheesy and hokey. Now I think that her perspective is more interesting than the human's. Yeah. Like, I feel like the episode is not really complete until we get to see her perspective. And I'm loving it. It's it's really great. Like I said, you know, anyone who has a cat can relate. I mean, we here at Kawaii Cast have the podcat. Yes, the podcat who has finally chilled out and taken a nap. Yes. He went to his bed. Good kitty. But uh, the last anime that I think has made a complete turnaround for me... And has suddenly popped up as one of the most recommended anime I would watch this season, even though I wasn't quite sure how to feel about it at first. That is Rising of the Shield Hero. Yes. Raftalia is best girl yeah, of I'm, the season. She is best girl of the season. Possibly year. I feel like there's still a lot of moments in this show that feel a bit, I want to say stereotype of Isekai. Like, they definitely feel a bit 
anime hokiness, but I can definitely forgive those moments because we are seeing more of a fleshed out story than what we initially had. Yeah. Before, it just kind of felt like the series was like, we're just going to turn the isekai genre on its head. But now it feels like it's definitely embracing some of the tropes in the best possible way. It's shining new light on those tropes while at the same time using them to their advantage. And while it does feel a bit, you know, anticlimactic at points, it feels as though that's the only way this show could progress. It feels like it's taking the most natural route possible in telling its story. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. It. I was talking about how Castlevania has some of the best action I've seen. I would say uh, Rising of the Shield Hero has the best action of this season. Like, hands down. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's really good. Um... And that's in the same season as Mob Psycho 100, whose action is intense. It is. But I I really like the more grounded feeling action that we do get to see in Castlevania and Rising the Shield Hero. I mean, crazy supernatural godlike action is great, but sometimes you just kind of want to see a character who can't fly a thousand feet in the air yeah. and survive. Some, sometimes you want to see a character that gets hit in the gut and gets the wind knocked out of them. Not, yeah. <laughs> not this, you know, get hit in the gut, get knocked back, you know, 50 feet and then just be like, huh, is that the best you got? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I'll give Mob a little bit of credit there in the sense that that whole fight was taking place in somebody's mind and not in reality. It's in but the mindscape. Basically, so. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would argue that Rising the Shield Hero has some of the best action I've seen. And it's just good. If you guys got turned off by the series due to the controversy... Just let it go. Like, it does such a good job of working its way around that controversy and doesn't make it seem like, oh, this is, you know, all women are thoughts. Well, well, not just that, but it it seems like it's, it's coming around to this point where maybe these other characters are going to start believing shield hero, Uh you know, like when he, you know, in the latest episode, spoiler alert, uh, after he loses his duel, loses his duel with uh, Spear Hero, you know, the uh, Bow Hero and Sword Hero come out and be like, yeah, dude, fucking Spear Hero lost this. Yeah. She cheated. Mine cheated. Yeah. You know? And, and seeing that, then I almost feel like those two heroes are... Now more, you know, at least a little more inclined to believe Shield Hero. Which I really like, because I really want to see those two characters get more fleshed out than just the... Oh, yes, my family once took a trip to Spain. Yeah. Poor little poor boy doesn't know what it's like to be in the Mediterranean. Yeah, and and like, you've you've seen a little more character development with Spear Hero. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he's, he's played this role of... You know, like, oh, you you shouldn't have a slave, and you know, like, I challenge you to a duel because of this, and yeah. So it's like he's he's trying to play the hero, and even he, like, at the last, you know, at the end of the last episode, he's like, I I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it almost feels like he's the one who's been played and, this whole time. And and really, he he kind of didn't do anything wrong. Like you you look at it from his perspective and. 
he didn't. You know, he yeah. he was doing what he feels is right. Like in the first episode, it strongly implied that he was partially responsible for what happened to Shield Hero, but in the latest episode, it makes you question that. Like, yeah, it's it, it makes seems you like think, he was just a tool. It, it makes you think, hey, wait a sec, is is mine just? playing everything like playing everyone yeah so it does paint mine and her father as the villains and that spear hero really was just an idiot jock who got played yeah so and it's too soon to really definitively say that but i do think that we are starting to see more and unless you read the light novels yeah you know that'll be what people say but uh moving on to the show that I am obligated to talk about every week, because I mentioned that I would be talking about it every week. Is it Dororo? It is Dororo. <laughs> so I won't talk too much about this because I know you're not caught up, but I will say the thing that I am insanely impressed with the show uh, after watching the latest two episodes is that it's not just about him recovering his missing parts anymore, but that each time he does recover a part of him, he is becoming more human and that that might not be a good thing because yes, because as we mentioned earlier in this episode, humans are trash. Yeah. Well, two reasons. One, uh, the more human he becomes, the more pain he experiences. The first instance we see of this is him literally gaining his nerve system back. Yeah. Where he is now, you know, capable of feeling pain. And then the next part, and this one's a bit of a spoiler, he gains his hearing back. And the first thing he ever hears in his life is the sound of a woman crying. And not only is that a very painful thing to experience, but also he is not used to sound. And it literally hurts him. Yeah. And it makes him weaker. And we do see that the more human he becomes, the more frustrated he becomes by the fact that he's human. Before, he was this invincible doll that couldn't be hurt, and now he's vulnerable, and he's weak, and he's soft, and he doesn't even know how to be a normal human being, and that frustrates him. Yeah. And we do see, because he's able to see the color of other people's souls... But we do meet a character that's also capable of seeing souls and he's watching his soul and noticing that it is starting to become less and less pure. And a lot of that is just down to the fact that he's frustrated. He's stressed. He gets sick now. He gets wounded. He doesn't know how to deal with this. Yeah. So, uh... I love the direction they're going with the story. The latest episode was extremely dark. So if this, if you are not prepared to deal with a dark show this season, this is probably one you might want to sit out because I would say this show is even darker than The Promised Neverland. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so go watch Dororo unless you're a wuss. Or watch it even if you're a wuss. Yep. Time to toughen up. But yeah, so I, I walk won't it go, off. Take a salt tablet. And I rub won't go too much. Rub in, some dirt in it. <laughs> I won't go much more into the show because Tyler needs to watch it still. I know. It is weird to have a drama series that both of us are into. It's it's true. Yeah. 
Because normally I could just talk, like, spoilers about these kind of shows and not worry about you, but now I'm like, Tyler's watching this. Tyler's invested in something I like. How dare he. I'm not used to this. Slam the panic button. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> oh, your cat's not in bed. He's in your chair. He's in my chair. That's... That's his, everything's his bed. Everything's his bed. <laughs> uh, so with that, uh, I think we'll wrap that up. I want to talk about Promise Neverland, but I think I might dedicate an episode to it in the next couple weeks. So yeah. So yeah, that's what you should awesome. watch is Castlevania. Go watch it. Go watch it's it. Go really binge good. it. It's so it's, amazing. It's like twelve episodes. It's easy to get through. Hopefully, if you finished this episode, you've already watched all of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.